Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org or to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We have a new website we want to steer you to. It's called savingevangelicals.com. There you'll find an interactive experience that guides you in testing your testimony of saving faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 commands those in the church to do just that. Test yourselves and see whether you're in the faith, it says. So go to savingevangelicals.com and take the test. Now to God's Word. I have to confess that I don't care for a comparison to ministry in the church with business models. I think we should avoid thinking of the church and the call of God on our lives in a commercial fashion. And yet, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, our Lord does precisely this. He compares Christians to those who have been bankrolled with great riches that they are to invest for Him. And how we invest what He gives us reveals how much we really love him. The story begins with three slaves who have been entrusted, or we could actually say they've been bankrolled with a large amount from their master's accounts with the instruction to go out and further his business interests. The amount that's given to each of these slaves is rather significant. If you had a New Living translation, it would say that they were given a bag of silver. And that's just an attempt to try to give some modern English reflection to what a talent was. A talent was between 60 and 80 pounds. Someone has estimated that in today's market, it would be a bag of silver. Or this could have actually been not silver. It could have been copper or it could have been gold. But most of the expositors of the Bible believe that it was actually silver. And that this talent of silver would be about $30,000. D.A. Carson actually in 1984 estimated that talent. Because, you know, the amount of money would change from its respective or its relative to wherever we are in time. And in that time, he estimated that it would have been about... $19,000, but then he further estimated the earning power at the time of Judea that that amount of money would provide an individual and suggested that it would take a day laborer 20 years to earn one talent of silver. So let's go to our time and factor that in and just take a low income earner at let's say $30,000 a year and we would say that over 20 years they might earn $600,000 and that's about what's given to them, something like that. However you figure it out, whatever you're figuring it is, it was a significant amount of capital that was given to these individuals to capitalize or to start up a business or to infuse into a business. And one slave receives one talent. Another slave receives two talents. One receives five. The master gave them a great amount with which to carry out his business. Now this parable comes after two other parables that we've read, and we read them during our scripture reading. The first parable is in Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51. And that parable, it's a parable of slaves who have been given oversight of the master's household, and their job is to make sure that they provide food for all the other members of the household and care for them. And yet the certain slave, an evil slave, turns away and abuses the servants instead of tenderly caring for them. And in this passage, the emphasis is that Jesus is indicating that his people are to tenderly care for one another out of love for the master. 
in light of his coming or during the time of his delay. The second parable is a parable of the bridesmaids. And there we're reminded that the heart focus of the individual is to be on the bridegroom. Where in the first parable, the Lord Jesus is saying that we should care for one another. In the second parable, the Lord Jesus is telling us that we should care for him. And our eyes and our focus should be upon him and our longing should be upon him. In this third parable, the parable of the talents, he's calling his disciples to faithfully conduct his business in the world. So briefly, what is the Lord's business? Well, it's broadcasting the gospel. It's bringing the message of salvation to souls. It's seeing those who respond to that message of salvation flourish in the gospel. The Lord Jesus said of himself that he had come to seek and to save those who were lost. That was his business. He also says, I've come that they may have a life and have it to the full. Having received him and found him and gained his own, he wants them to flourish in his life and the expressions of his own life surging through them. And so we're to seek to advance this cause. More and more people to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. More and more people to be brought to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. More and more people to be encouraged and discipled and growing in that faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the enterprise of the Christian. This is to be the enterprise of the church to contribute to the expanding of this business, this cause. So in this first parable, we have dressed our part before the master's community. In the second parable, we have addressed our part in our communion with the master himself. And in this third parable, we have addressed our duty to the master's enterprises, to tending to his business. And that's what's being put before us. A couple other things about these three parables. We see that each of them is being directed at how we should live while the master is away, during the time of his delay. And it would indicate that the Lord Jesus is letting his disciples know and understand that there's going to be a gap of time between his departure and his coming again. And each of these parables also lets us know that when Christ returns, that the day of his return will reveal the truth of their professions. Our professions will be proved by our love and service to his community. Our professions will be proved by our love and communion with himself. Our professions will be proved by our faithfulness to put forward and give ourselves and engage in his work and in his enterprises. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we love his church and do we care for it? Do we love him and long and look for him? Do we love him and are we committed to his work and his labor and the call he's placed upon our life? The answer to those questions will reveal whether we were truly his disciples in heart and soul or whether we were just paying lip service or whether we had just slipped into some social convention in our lives. Whether it's true, whether we were really committed to him or whether we were playing a game. The difference will be, as the Lord Jesus tells us here, the difference between heaven and hell, between endless joy and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what I'd say is we're not saved by doing these things. I'm not saved by tending to the people in this church. I'm not saved by constantly and always thinking of the Lord Jesus' return. I'm not saved by being energetically given to the work and labor of Christian ministry. But these things are an expression. I'm saved to these things, not by these things. And the Lord Jesus saves us and delivers us. The grace that he pours out upon us, the mercy that he pours out upon us, captivates our hearts, captivates our lives, draws us into his calling, draws us into his enterprises, draws us into his body. You know, you're born into a family. Did you know that? 
born into the family of God, born to love what he loves, born with the spirit that pours out upon you a love for God and a love for his people and a love for those who don't know him. And all these things are reflected in how you live. So now we're at this third parable and we're going to look at it today. And there are a lot of details in this parable that we're not going to try to sort out and figure out. Much of the great truths that God has for us are oftentimes lost to our appreciation because we become distracted by all the finer points of detail and miss the greater message. And so here in this passage, we're not going to try to figure out what the fine details of the story mean, but we're going to try to settle upon some things that we can, I think, agree together are being indicated here. And so here's the first one in this parable of the talents. The first one here is that The individual's self-identity in this story is being emphasized. The individual's self-identity in this story is being emphasized. As we mentioned last week, there are other parables that parallel some of these parables we're reading here, but they're parables that are somewhat hard for us to identify. A principle is laid down, but it's hard for us to identify ourselves in the parable. In other words, the parable of the various soils that received the seed and some of the soil was rocky soil and so the seed grew up but then it burned away and some of it was thorny ground and so the the seed grew up but it was choked off by the cares of this world and then some fell on good soil and it produced fruit and we read that and recognize that the Lord Jesus is telling us that there's not always the same response to the places where the gospel and the individual lives where the gospel comes but most of us have a hard time identifying with soils. The very next parable that Jesus told was the parable of the wheat and the tares. And it's also a parable indicating the principle that there is a mixed multitude in the kingdom of God. Those who are true professors of faith who bring forth the fruit and the wheat on their stalks and those who are only appearing to be weak, but they're weeds instead. And, but it's kind of hard for you and I to relate to wheat and weeds. And he goes on from there to tell the parable of a net full of good fish and bad fish and Well, you have to decide whether you're a good fish or a bad fish. And he tells the parable at other times of the sheep and the goats that are before him at the judgment seat, and they're divided. And again, it's kind of hard for us to relate to whether you're a sheep or a goat, just in life. But here's a parable I think that we can all relate to. We can all individually identify. All of us can identify individuals who have varying abilities and varying resources. I think God has made us and created us with an acquisitive nature, a desire to attain things and accomplish things and realize things in our lives. And as we go out and pursue those things, all of us have thought, if I only had the resources that that person had, if I only was born with the advantages that person, some people are born with a silver spoon in their mouths. Some people are born in a well-connected family and they find themselves rising to some level of success because of their connections and well, you realize, I don't have the connections that person has. And if I only had those connections, if I only had those resources that he had, I, I could have done more with my life. And, and then what happens to us is, as we get a little wiser in life, we find out that it wasn't our lack of resources that limited us. At least, that's not the whole of the story. The reality was we discovered that it wasn't that we just lacked the resources. We lacked the ability to handle those resources. It's a humbling thing. It's a humbling thing to figure out that the reason that you didn't accomplish certain things in your life was not because you lacked the right opportunities and the right resources and the right connections, but that even if you were given the right opportunities and the right connections and the right resources, that you weren't given the brains (laughs) to manage it all. You just didn't have the temperament to do it right. You 
You didn't have the patience that would lead you into success in using all of those things. And I've learned to pray a prayer before the Lord oftentimes when I'm facing decisions, just decisions about choices I have to make for the wherewithal and the necessities of my home and how to plan out my future. And my prayer usually starts, Lord, you know how stupid I am. If you don't show me, if you don't help me, well, whatever you think were your lack of advantages in terms of resources and provision and whatever you might come to realize were your lack of advantages in terms of your abilities, there are those who had more of it, both resources and abilities, but there are also those who had less of it, less resources, less abilities. It's kind of the way that we see our lives. And this analogy in the story basically helps us kind of identify something I think all of us have felt at times. We can identify with that. He got five talents. I only got one, right? They have more abilities, I have less. Or I've got two talents. At least, at least I've got a little bit more than this person has or whatever it is. And don't be confused by the amounts that are being discussed here, by the way. It could have just been easily told that the one with one talent gained one talent more and the one with five talents buried it. Right? The story is really not to be about who has more and who has less. It's about what you do with what God gives you what you do within how you use the resources that God brings in your life. And one of the things you need to recognize here is that God has adequately supplied all of us with tremendous resources. He's adequately given us a measure of His truth and spiritual gifting and knowledge of His Word and an outpouring provision of His Spirit. He's placed all these things at our disposal. He's adequately given you unique personalities and traits to fulfill and invest in His business as He desires. And the real question before us is whether we're going to be faithful and what is given to us. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.